0: You may be seated, and as you are seated, uh, the children from kindergarten through sixth grade would be dismissed for children's church with Miss Steph and Miss Mara. And appreciate the worship team in leading us in that place of worship this morning. Um If you would, open a Bible if you have one, uh, either hard copy or on a phone or tablet, whatever it may be, to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 16 through 18 this morning. Um, As uh, we we prepare to look into that together, just as we were standing in that place or sitting in that place, wherever it was, where we were able uh, just to say, Holy Spirit, we need you what do you want to say? Is there anything that you want to say to us? I was reminded, I was taken back to a a missions trip that I was on. A number of you may remember Rob Douglas, who served as the interim pastor here right before we came here to Dorseyville. I was on that trip with him. Uh, We were in a creative access country in um, Central Asia. I'm not going to say what country that was for security purposes for our workers there, but it was A great time, and one of the things, being about um, nine hours off on sleep, (laughs) um, is we would often wake up in the middle of the night. And I think it was a combination of just body not really knowing where you're at and what you're doing with sleep, but also the Holy Spirit at work. Because I shared a room with Rob, and we would wake up at the same time. And so we couldn't fall back to sleep. So what are we going to do? Let's spend some time worshiping. Let's spend some time praying. And there was just such an atmosphere of worship in the presence of Jesus in that time that I found that sometimes mission trips or out of our comfort zone opportunities provide space for us to be more aware of the Spirit's presence and our need to be dependent on him and his work than sometimes our everyday lives because we can kind of manage it, or we think we can manage it, going about our daily routines. And I just sense the Lord saying, and and I ask the Lord, is this just for me? Because sometimes the Lord will just speak to me in worship times, but other times it'll be uh, for others, and and it's first for me, (laughs) Uh, but for all of us. Just sense the Lord saying that we, I, and we, um, if we're going to live in that missional space, be that missional society that the Alliance began as, we need to live with a missions trip mentality and desperation and not allow the the routines and the familiarity of everyday life uh, to put it on spiritual cruise control where I can handle it, but to live in that place of holy desperation of I need you as much here as I do in that Central Asian country where I am completely, completely vulnerable Uh, because we are completely vulnerable and unable to do anything of ourselves here. And so wherever that may resonate for any of you, uh, it resonates for me. And um, share that. Because this message, I believe, and this last of these acts of righteousness, we've looked at giving, we've looked at prayer. Now today we look at fasting. I believe fasting is one of those disciplines, one of those acts of righteousness that is not as practiced but is so very important. I was thinking about as I was preparing for this message, and you may notice the sermon notes in your bulletin. It says uh, July twenty third. That's because I put those together right before I left for Mahaffey, and my mind was on this Sunday, not or last Sunday, not this Sunday. So anyway, just cross that out and say 20, thirty. But I was thinking about this message. And I was thinking about my a friend of mine in college. Uh, he was a guy that all the the ladies loved, and they all wanted to have a relationship with him. And so they would come to him very often and say, "Hey, uh, what if we have lunch together or or dinner together in the dining hall?" And there were some that he would say, "Oh yeah, let's go. Let's have let's have lunch together. Be very excited about that." And then there were a lot that he would not be very interested in, and uh, he would tell them, "Oh, I'm sorry." I can't have lunch or dinner with you because I'm fasting. Now, he wasn't fasting in any way, shape, or form. And, and many of those that he told that he was fasting would find out that he wasn't fasting when they saw him in the dining hall at the time that he said he was not going to be there because he was going to be fasting. And it had turned into kind of a joke amongst some of those in our friend group that if there was something that they didn't want to do in any realm of life, they would just kind of say, oh, I'm fasting, I'm fasting. It just became one of those jokes. And, you know, I, I think about that, oh, I, I'm fasting, I can't. Because I would suspect that many of us are like my friend. Not in that you're telling others that you're fasting when you're not. But that you're like him, and like probably a, a lot of us, where fasting Because he wasn't practicing it regularly. It's just something he talked about. Fasting is not a regular practice of our lives. Um, For some, it may be because we just don't understand it. What is fasting? Why would you do that? For some, it may be that there is an understanding, and there's just not a desire for it, not a, a, a longing to fast. And for others, it may be like, I I understand it. I know what fasting is, but I don't really see the value in it. So whether it's a lack of understanding, whether it's a lack of desire, or whether it's just, I don't really see the value of it. Uh, This morning, I, I want us to look at these few verses, but I want us to also have a bigger picture from the scriptures of what fasting is all about. Because Jesus, as he did with giving, as he did with prayer, He does also with fasting. And he doesn't say, I want you to think about this. He says, when you fast, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. These are expectations that Jesus has for us as kingdom people, practices that we should regularly be doing. So let's look at fasting together so that we can fast as expected. Two understandings to come To this morning, you'll see some space in your uh, bulletins on those sermon notes, and there'll be lots of extra scriptures and uh, points here that you can fill in as well. So, first understanding is this let's understand, and this is before we ever get to the passage, let's understand the purposes for fasting. There are six purposes uh, that John Stott, in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, walked through to be able to help us to understand scripturally purposes for fasting. The first purpose is to humble oneself. It begins here, and I would argue and I would believe that this purpose, whenever we fast, is always needed to be present. There is this heart attitude, this space, this underlying purpose of humbling ourselves before God. In Isaiah chapter 58 Verse 3 and verse 5. It says this. The Israelites say, why have we fasted? And you have not seen. They're complaining to the Lord. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Verse 5. Is this the kind of fast the Lord says I've chosen? Only a day for, man, for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord. You see, these this concept of humility there. Humble yourself. You see, bowing low, bowing one's head like a reed, lying on sackcloth and ashes. These verbal, th- th- these expressions of humility. They are outward actions of an inward heart of humbling ourselves before the Lord. And I believe this is where, in all of fasting, it begins. A place of humility, of humbling ourselves before the Lord. Fasting at a very basic level would be simply to go without food. But going without food for a period of time is just the outward expression. But it starts with the inward heart attitude of humbling oneself before God. Understand the purpose for fasting the first, to humble yourself. The second purpose for fasting in the scriptures is to confess sin, to confess sin. In the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, Judah had been taken off into captivity for 70 years, and there were a, a number of young men who had been taken off, men, young men of exceptional leadership and education, and they were put into high places of leadership in the Babylonian empire, and one of those was Daniel. And Daniel was there through the entirety of this captivity period. And he was reading, and he records in Daniel chapter 9, he was re- re- reading another prophet of the day, Jeremiah who was prophesying from the Lord that this captivity would last 70 years. And we can understand from the the context of Daniel chapter 9 and what he says, that it had to be very close to the end of the 70 years from when the captivity started. And so Daniel begins to recognize this time is almost done. And now... Some of us, if this time was almost done, we were just at Mahaffey Camp and as the ends came for the time to come home for Mahaffey Camp, I was not in a place of confession. I was in a place of exhilaration. It was good to be there, but it's tiring to be at Mahaffey Camp serving for nine days. So I was very happy. Daniel wasn't in that place. Daniel was not in a place of exhilaration, of excitement, I can't wait to go back, let's go pack the bags, it's time to get out of here. Daniel's position is different. Daniel says this in Daniel 9, 2-3. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, from Jeremiah, according to the word of the Lord given to him, the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. He understands this. So he doesn't go pack his bags. He says, so I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. And he begins to go, if you read that prayer, he confesses on behalf of the nation the sins they had committed against the Lord that got them into captivity. Confession. Confession of sin. He does this while fasting. At the same time, there is another man by the name of Nehemiah, who asked to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. Found that it was in desolation. And it says, on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together. It says, as they are now back in Israel, fasting and wearing sackcloth and having dust on their heads, those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. While fasting, there was the practice of confession of sin. And so there may be times in our lives, it continues on, they stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession in worshiping the Lord their God. Nehemiah leads this work to rebuild that broken down wall. And after having the law read, they confessed their sins. They heard the word, They saw how they had sinned, and their forefathers had sinned, and they confessed their sin as they fasted, and they worshiped. Recently, I've shared with you that our elders about a year ago were in the process of just looking at the the history of our church family and praying and seeking the Lord, and in seeking the Lord, confessing any sin that the Lord brought to our attention. And one of the things that the Lord impressed upon us on that time, not that we would do it at any one time uh, at the same time, but that the Lord would lead us to fast individually as we were doing this together. And part of that fasting was to be able to hear from the Lord as we confessed our sins. This desperation of going without food for a portion of a day or a day so that we would be able to, to humble ourselves and to confess the sin that the Lord was bringing to our attention. But it also led us to be able to understand another purpose for fasting, and that was to seek God for direction. What do we do with what we hear? In 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 20, verses 3 and 4, the Moabites and the Ammonites are coming to make war against King Jehoshaphat, one of my favorite biblical names, King Jehoshaphat. And as they came, he was overwhelmed, and he calls the people together. He doesn't call the people together to rally. Let's, let's get all of our arms together, and let's go out, and let's, let's make war. He does something different. Second Chronicles 20, verses 3 and 4, alarmed at the Ammonites and the Moabites who are coming to make war. Jehoshaphat resolved to, re, to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. And in this seeking, what do we do with this problem, this threat against us, Lord? What do we do? Fasting was a part of it. And So the Lord gives direction as the people come together to fast and to seek him. The Lord gives direction what to do. He tells them where to go. He tells them how to align themselves In battle, but he also tells Jehoshaphat, send out the worshipers first. (laughs) Imagine, in the midst of war, it's not the army that goes out in front. (laughs) It's the worshipers of God who go out in front. And the Lord has it all set as they go and worship that there are traps set all around as. He told the people be here and the army to be here and here as the, as the worshipers go out first. And the Lord delivers the armies of Moab and Ammon into the hands of Israel. And it says that the Lord is the one who fights for you. The Lord is the one who wins the battle. All of that came because Jehoshaphat called the people to seek the Lord, called, him to, called them to fast and to worship, to seek God Correct for direction, and the Lord gave them the victory. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13, 1 to 3, it's a a critical point of mission for the church. There have been good things that have been developing, the church is is growing in Jerusalem, they've been scattered, and now they are in Antioch and they're, they're worshiping the Lord. What is next, God? What do we do next? And it says in Acts chapter 13, verses one through three. There we go, one through three. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers: Barnabas, Simon, or Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them." So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The first missionary journey of the church was initiated out of prayer and fasting. They waited on God, what do we do? And in the midst of worship and prayer and fasting, the Lord said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work, for the mission that I have called them to. Do you see how important fasting is for mission? It was born out of it. We seek the Lord for direction. There have been many times in my life that I can point to that the Lord called me to this place of fasting because I didn't know what to do next. Whether it was seasons of ministry or seasons of family or in coming here, about seven years ago, the Lord called and said, fast. Take time to fast. I will give you direction out of that time. And so it is one of these positions that we see and one of these purposes that we see for fasting when we are in need of direction to seek God and to seek him using fasting. A fourth purpose for fasting is to build self-control. To build self-control. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says, Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. And as he's talking about this, he's using this example of runners in the games, training. Ultimately, he's talking about the heavenly prize of eternal life. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last Forever, eternal life. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body, and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul uses this example of runners disciplining their bodies, beating their bodies in such a way that their bodies are their slave. Now this is not like masochism. This is not trying to harm yourself, bringing self-harm. This is disciplining your body so that you are in charge of your body, not your body in charge of you. When we think about fasting, food is a very... Important necessity of life, is it not? We, if we do not have food for a long period of time, we will die. We need it. But sometimes food becomes our master. Instead of we using food as energy, sometimes food uses us. It is our master. And this can be anything in created life that instead of us using it for a purpose, we end up serving it. And so fasting can be one of those things that we can use to be able to discipline ourselves, to be able to master our bodies so that our bodies and our appetites and our desires are under our control, not us in slavery to our appetites. And so it can be in any realm of life, but there may be something that we may have to say, this has mastery over my physical life. And so in order to be able to have mastery over it, I am going to fast this, so that I can build the discipline that is needed to be able to have mastery over it, so that my body is my slave, not I'm a slave to it. So fasting can be one of these things that in the midst of life, we can build spiritual vitality by having mastery over something, by fasting something in our lives. Often there are good things that keep us from mission. There are good things that keep us from spiritual vitality because we end up serving those good things in rather, rather than them serving us. And if food is one of those things, fasting from meals can be a way that in the midst of our hunger, I can say no to that, and I can say yes to God, and I can begin to have mastery over my appetites, not my appetites have mastery over me. So fasting can be one of those things that can build self-control in our life. The fifth purpose of fasting is to share with the poor to share with the poor. I would invite you to uh, turn with me to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. To Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah 58. Same passage as earlier in this idea of humbling ourselves before the Lord, but in Isaiah chapter 58, beginning in verse six, the Lord talks about fasting. Your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the, old, the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. See, the people of Judah were Fasting. And they were mad at God because he was not doing what they thought he should do. But meanwhile, they were oppressing their workers. They were causing injustices and they were permitting injustices to take place. All the while doing the outward expressions of fasting while malicious talk and while beating their workers and enslaving their workers. They were doing all of these injustices. And the Lord is saying, more than just the act of fasting, more than just going without food, it is sharing with those who are hungry. It is giving clothes to those who are needy. It is where oppression is to work to break the oppression as you fast. It is where there is malicious talk to confess and to silence your tongue that would backbite against another. In other words, it is taking what you are going without and using it and using the time that you are going without in fasting to work towards breaking the injustices and the wrongs of this world. The food that you would be eating, giving it to others. The clothes that you may not be buying if you're choosing, I have to cut back on how much I'm buying. Using that to give clothes to others, whatever it may be. Fasting should lend us toward breaking injustices, making wrongs right. One of them, the Lord says, is poverty, hunger. Fasting provides an opportunity to give away to the poor what we would have used ourselves. Our family has several children that we sponsor through Compassion International. Christian organization, Relief and Development. They provide education, they provide food in countries where poverty reigns and where children uh, do not have things like education and clothing and healthy food. And so our our kids have been a part of that. We've been a part of that. And there's a season of our life where we would not only give to these children and have relationships through letters with these children, but we would have once a week a meal where we would eat what our compassion children ate. And so one time a week, we would have rice and beans, and that was it. And so some of the money that would have gone towards meat and vegetables and whatever else that we would normally have in a meal, we would take that money, and that would help to contribute to meeting the needs of that child. But it also reminded us of something. It reminded us that this is actually really good food that is welcomed by our compassion children in another part of the world. What we feel like is sacrifice. Oh, I'm just eating rice and beans for this meal. For them, it is life-giving and life-sustaining. And so it helped us as we shared with the poor. It helped to remind us and to instruct us that as we go without, this is what life is like for others. And so this is the, the heart of what Isaiah 58 is saying is you're, you will, your light will shine like today and you will be the restorer of broken walls and all of these things as you share, as you give away, as you fast, as you go without. The last purpose of fasting is this, and that is to meet with Jesus while he is away. What does that mean? If you would turn with me just a page or two, if you're in Matthew 6, back to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. Matthew 9, 14 to 15 says, Then John's disciples, this is the disciples of John the Baptist, came and asked him, speaking of Jesus, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. John's disciples asked, Why don't your disciples, Jesus, fast? When we fast and the Pharisees fast, why don't they? And Jesus brings a, an illustration from the day. The bridegroom, after a couple, a bride to be and a groom to be, would become engaged, there would be a celebration, there would be a big meal celebrating the fact that these two were going to be married. But following that time of celebration, that big meal, that big party of feasting, the bridegroom, the man, would leave. And he would go away for a period of time and he would go and prepare a place in his parents' home where he would have for his bride and they would start their own family this new home. And it wasn't until that Space that new dwelling was completed that the father of the bridegroom would say, it's time to go get your bride. And he would come back home and there would be those virgins who were with the, the bride-to-be who were always waiting, always watching. And when they would see him coming, they would yell, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming. And they would go out and they would escort him in and there would be the actual wedding. And so Jesus is saying, right now, I am the bridegroom of my people and I am with my people. There is no reason for them to fast. Now is a time to celebrate. Now is a time to feast. But there is a time when I'm going away. And we see after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, he ascended into heaven and one day he will come back as our sure and certain coming king who will come for his people and he will come to make all things right. But until that day, Jesus is saying, when the bridegroom goes away, when I go away, that's when it's time. My disciples will fast. And so while Jesus is away, while he is at the right hand of the Father in heaven, having sent his spirit to be his presence moving amongst us, while we love the Holy Spirit so much, the presence of Jesus moving amongst us, guiding us, leading us. While he is away, we fast because it builds intimacy with the one that we love. It keeps us aware that our Savior is coming. He is our coming King. It keeps us looking for his return. It keeps us in intimate relationship with him. Fasting has a way to draw us close to our Savior, to build intimacy with him as we read scripture, as we pray, as we spend time with him, and it fuels us. For mission. While our Savior is away, knowing he's coming back, we fast. We wait. These are some of the purposes of fasting. So in these last few moments, let's actually look at the passage. Verses 16 and 18 of Matthew chapter 6 help us to understand how to fast. Jesus says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So how do we fast? Understanding those purposes for fasting, well, it begins with fasting as expected. As with giving, as with prayer, Jesus begins with when you fast. Jesus expects his followers. Jesus expects kingdom people to fast. It's not a if, but it is a when. And Jesus would have had these purposes that we've looked at from the Old Testament, these purposes for fasting in mind. So, this morning, if you're hearing all of this about fasting, if you are not a person who fasts, let me urge you to begin to do so. It's fine just to start in a small way. Maybe it is just one meal. Maybe it is a lunch that you're going to fast. You're just not going to eat it. And during that time when you would be eating lunch, it's an opportunity for you to open the scriptures. To read a passage of scripture and to say, Lord, what do you have to say to me through your scripture? It's an opportunity for you to to pray. Lord, what is it? Just have conversation with him. Lord, is there anything that you want to say to me during this time? And just take the time that you would have eaten and spend it in scripture and prayer, seeking the one who rules and reigns and is coming again. And as the afternoon goes on, maybe until dinner comes and those, the time when the afternoon snack would normally be or your stomach starts rumbling because you haven't eaten since breakfast and you, you're reminded of it and you're like, I, just, I need some food, I need some food. That's a reminder, ah, oh, Jesus, I wanna know you. Spirit of God, have your way. Lord, I just pause to remind myself of your presence in my life. And so fasting may be as simple as that. It can be built longer over time, But if you're not a person who has fasted, try that. Maybe one time a week. One meal, one time a week. Begin to build fasting into your life practice. Just as you would reading the Bible or praying, build it into your life. Ask the Holy Spirit, where do I start? If you're a person who fasts, but not regularly, let me encourage you to establish some kind of regular fasting pattern. Much like you would have a fasting pattern or a a pattern for reading scripture and prayer, build that into your life. Lord, what does it look like to have a regular practice of fasting in my life? And when you do, as Jesus says, make sure that you do it not to be seen by people. Just as in giving and in praying, Jesus talks about the hypocrites The hypocrites would be referring to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They are the ones in verse 16 who disfigure their faces so they show men that they are fasting. They look somber as they do it. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. These Pharisees and teachers of the law, they fasted regularly, but they didn't do it for the right reasons. Outwardly, they did what was right. Inwardly, their heart was not there because they did it. To be noticed by people, they would look somber, they would disfigure their faces, they would probably walk through town going, oh, oh I'm so hungry. Everyone would know. They would see on their faces, they were probably exaggerated, trying to sink their eyes into their face more, trying to look as miserable as possible so that the people would, oh, look at them. They're fasting. Look how spiritual they are. Look, I can never be like them. They probably have been fasting for days. How do they do it? If only I could be like them. This is how they would fast. And Jesus said in their outward appearance so that everyone would see it. And even if they didn't know this was why and they, oh, are you not feeling well today? What's going on? they would say, oh, I'm, I'm just fasting. And people go, And they would get their reward. They would get the praise of people. They would get the admiration of people. They would be lifted up by people. The people around them would say, I can never be like you. You are so good. Jesus says they get their reward. They get what they're looking for. And they get it in full. They get the praise of people. But instead of doing it like this, Jesus says to make sure that when we fast, we fast to be seen by God, our our heavenly Father. Or 17 and 18, but when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting. In other words, if we were talking about, Jesus was talking to us today, the equivalent of, Washing your face and putting oil in your head would be take a shower, brush your teeth, comb your hair, get dressed, and go about your day. In other words, there should be nothing different in the way that you look, in the way that you present yourself, than any other day. Because we're not looking for the praise of people. We're looking for the praise of our Father. Verse 17, uh, verse 18, So it will not be obvious to men your fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The Father sees what we do in secret. Just like not letting our right hand know what our left hand is doing and giving. Just like going into our prayer room, seeking the Lord, not so others see us seeking the Lord, but so that our Father sees us. Like in prayer and in giving, fasting is part of our secret life with God that he rewards. Whether in lifting us up as we humble ourselves, or whether forgiveness of sin and the lifting of shame as we confess our sins. Or whether in the answer to the, the question that we have as we seek his direction. Or whether it's the blessing of being the repairer of the restorer of streets with dwellings and the repairer of broken walls and seeing the Lord bring healing to those around us as we give or whether it's just the reward of deeper intimacy with our Savior, the one who is away but coming again. Whatever it is that we are seeking him for as we fast, he will reward us. How do we fast in those purposes? Regularly, not to be seen by people, but by God. my first two years of playing baseball in college, the coach drilled into us this motto, play for an audience of one, play for an audience of one. I played some pretty competitive baseball and that was not something I had ever heard in my life. I heard play for yourself, play for your teammates, play for your family, play for your school, play for the name on your jersey, the organization or the school whatever it was, play for the fans who are there cheering you on. Play for everyone else except God. And he our coach reminded us of this. We play for one person and one person alone and that's the glory of our father. And that really resonated with me so much so that every inning before I would pitch, I would take my hat off, and I had written in it, audience of one. And It was a reminder that I wasn't playing to be seen by anyone. I was playing to be seen by him. And that the way that I went about what I did, I wanted it to be for his glory. I didn't do it right all the time, <laughs> but that's why I needed it in my hat. Sometimes in the middle of an inning, oh, okay. But it's the same when it comes to our giving. It's the same when it comes to our prayer. It's the same when it comes with our fasting. We do it not for others. We do it to be seen by him. And our father is a good rewarder of his people. He blesses his people as we are faithful to him. As we go to prayer, I just simply give us space in a moment for you to ask a question of the Lord. Lord, what does fasting look like in my life? Worship team will come and lead us in a closing song, but let's give space to the Lord by his spirit to speak as we ask that simple question. So Father, what does it look like for me? in this area of fasting. Speak Holy Spirit. We, your servants, are listening. Father, in humility, we offer ourselves to you, and we trust that you are a God who rewards those who in faith earnestly seek you. And so I pray by your Spirit's empowerment for grace to follow through on the invitation that you have given to us to fast, not for the praise of anyone, but to know you and to walk with you. In a greater way. Father, bless your people. Bless your people with faith to believe that your ways are best, that this counterculture of these disciplines, doing them your way and doing them at all is for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.